Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger with this week's message from Story Point Church. Ecclesiastes is in the Old Testament. It's in what's known as the wisdom literature. So if you go to the very center of the Bible, which is the Psalms, and then go to the right, you have Proverbs, then you will have Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, or actually you have Song of Songs, and then Ecclesiastes, right? Or did I get that backwards? No, I got that backwards. It is Ecclesiastes and Song of Psalms. So Ecclesiastes was written by the wisest man that ever lived. Who would, be, who would that be? Solomon. Now, you remember how we got the wisdom. God said to him, ask anything and I'll give it to you. And, and he said, let me see, what do I want? I want wisdom. And God says, because you asked of wisdom, I'm going to give it to you. And I'm also going to bless you because what you're hoping, what you're looking for by asking for wisdom is you are asking to be led by me and to be directed by me. And so I'm going to honor that. And so the Bible tells us that Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. And so a lot of what we find in song, in, uh, from Solomon um, in, in, in what he wrote is we find this, this rich uh, depth of, of wisdom. And basically it's, it's how do we live life. Proverbs, for instance, is uh, you, you could take uh, one proverb a day. And if you just learn to apply that one proverb, it literally would change your life. Um, you could look at Song of Psalms, and it talks about how basically to have uh, a, a marriage, and, and there's wisdom in that. Ecclesiastes is kind of depressing, but if you see it the right way, it's actually full of hope as well. It's depressing in that it's the reality of life. It tells us basically that, that life can really stink. But the very end of the matter, in the very last chapter, Solomon says this. He says, in the end, I can tell you the secret. It's to fear God and to love Him, essentially. And so, in Ecclesiastes, we have a verse or, or a, a passage in chapter 3 that I think is key for living life. Now, you're going to love this and you're going to hate this. You're going you're gonna to have a love-hate relationship with this, with this chapter because it, it's, it, it's good and in, in easy in some ways, but it's incredibly difficult in another way or, or in other ways. Let me say it this way. What he's talking about in chapter 3 is, is simple. It's as simple as you can get, but it is not easy. It's incredibly hard. And of course, what he's talking about is necessary endings. Now, I'm not talking about, uh, uh, well, I'm not going to say that. I was going to make a joke, and I'm not going to do that. Necessary endings. But you can just imagine whatever joke I would have told. Laugh to yourself. Let's move on. So, um, necessary endings is this understanding that everything eventually has an end. Everything. And until we get this, until we change our perspective in life to recognize and to not only accept, but look forward to and be ready for and deal with endings, until we get to that point, we're, we're going to have a hard time with life. And so let's just start with the text. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, here's what the Scripture says. There is a time for most things. There, 
Did you catch that? What does it say? There's a time for every... Now listen, I'm a Hebrew scholar, and I looked at the Hebrew on this, because I wanted to be sure what it meant. And in the original language of the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, this word everything literally means everything. That's what it means. There's no exceptions. Everything. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. There's a time to be born. There's a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. Does that make it better? I know how old you are. (laughs) Yeah. And I know who's not that old too. There's a time to tear down and a time to build. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to dance. There's a time to scatter stones. There's a time to gather them. There's a time to embrace and there's a time to refrain. There's a time to search and there's a time to give up. There's a time to keep and a time to throw away. There's a time to tear and there's a time to mend. There's a time to be silent and a time to speak. Nudge your spouse on that one, okay? There's a time to love and a time to hate. There's a time for war and a time for peace. What does the worker gain from his toil? I've seen the burden God has laid upon men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all of his toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken from it. For God does, does it so that men will revere Him, so that men will search for Him, so that men will serve Him, so that men will know Him. So here's what we have. We have this understanding from the wisest man in the world that God has given time to mankind. Now remember, there was no such thing as time before God created it. Time is not for God. Time is for us. How did God create time? Well, we know that there was nothing, and then out of nothing, God said, let there be. And what did He create? He created boundaries. He created the expanse of the, the, the separation of the atmosphere into, into land. And he, he made land and he made sea. And so he made mountains and borders. These were separations, right? These were ways for us to go, this is one thing, this is another thing, this is another thing. And then he made, he made the moon and the stars and the sun. Now what was that? That was the gift of time. How do we know that? Because the sun comes up. And the sun goes down and the moon comes up. And then the moon goes down and the sun comes up. God didn't create time for himself. He created time for us. It was a way that we could have order in our lives. It was a way that we could, we could number our days. It was a way that we could understand how to live. Otherwise, we'd be disoriented. Have you ever been to Alaska? Particularly, have you ever been to the North Pole, Alaska? I have. And guess what? I actually did a camp there one one year, a a youth camp. Um, It wasn't in North Pole. It was in, where's, um, well, it wasn't Fairbanks. It was outside, Willow. It was Willow, Alaska, which is about an hour, I guess, from Fairbanks. So I was in Willow, Alaska doing this youth camp, and I really got myself in trouble because it was daylight 23 hours a day. 
They had like an hour of, of, of darkness, and even then it was only kind of darkness. And so you know what? I was there as their camp pastor, which meant I spoke a couple of times throughout the day. The rest of the day, I didn't have anything else to do. But they had this incredibly clear, beautiful lake with fish in it, and they had a boat next to the cabin I was staying in it. So guess what I did when I wasn't preaching? I was fishing. And invariably, I was out fishing, and I would look at my watch, and i go, Holy smokes, it's 5 o'clock in the morning. But I've been fishing since yesterday. I had no idea. And, I, and that's the moment I realized I could never live in Alaska. Because I would never sleep. Because if it was light all the time, I would be out doing something all the time. In fact, I'm convinced that if I weren't married and have kids, I would never sleep as well. I would go from one thing to another to another. See, I needed order in my life. I needed a break from the chaos. And that's what God gave us when he gave us time. So time was God's invention. But not only is there time. Now remember, God, to God there is no time. That's why a day to Him is like what? A thousand years. In eternity, we are, th th there's no clocks on the wall. In eternity, yesterday and today and tomorrow are all the same. In fact, if you have a loved one who's died, they're not up there waiting for you to come see them again Literally, if we could put this into a way that we could understand, it will be like, welcome. To them, it will be seconds, milliseconds from the time they enter into the presence of Jesus and you enter in presence of Jesus because there is no time. But for us, we have time and we also have seasons. Now, Shannon always picks with me because if you know me very well, which most of you do, my seasons aren't the your seasons, probably. See, your seasons are probably fall, spring, summer, winter, fall, spring. So, did I get that wrong? Yeah. Winter, spring. See, I don't even know what they are. Winter, spring, summer, fall. And those are, but see, my seasons are deer season, bow season, squirrel season, rabbit season, turkey season, snapper season, cobia season, amberjack season. See, Shannon says she knows what season it is based on what kind of animals I bring to the house. Now, for, for those who are outdoorsmen, you totally get that, right? Here's the thing. At the end of deer season, which it's coming up in another month and a half, I am both disappointed and excited. You want to know why? Because I know that the end of deer season sparks the beginning, a very short season of honeydew season. That's not honeydew the melon, that's honeydew the list. Because i got to get the honeydew the list or some of them done so that we can start fishing season. And see, I'm not, I'm not regretting the ending of deer season because I'm not looking backwards, I'm looking forwards. And the message today in its most simplest form is this. We need to know when and how to end things. We need to know when and how to end things because for the rest of our lives, we will have necessary endings. And i got to tell you, some things are harder to end than others. Let me give you a few examples of some endings, okay? Some endings would be, for, for a senior adult, for instance, would be the ending of driving. I use this example over First Baptist, and it was real. Because there comes a point at which you can no longer drive a, a 6,000-pound vehicle on the road safely anymore. Believe me when I tell you, we have dents and dings in our parking lot to various structures 
because people have not ended their driving, but they should have. And I'm not being mean. They would eventually admit that to you, but don't we all understand that at some point we can no longer drive, right? Now, look, I don't think anybody else in, any of us in this room are probably at this point, but here's what I want you to know. If you don't know how to end the simple things, you're not going to know how to end the hard things. But if you develop a pattern and a perspective in life that says everything ends, then when it gets to the hard stuff, you're going to be able to say with courage, which it takes great courage to end things, and with grace to be able to say, this season of my life has ended. But because this season has ended, something else gets to start. So driving is probably not something that we do. Excuse me. Ending driving is probably not for any of us in here. Maybe so, but probably not. But here is something that is. Some of us are at the age where the season of childhood or, or of children in our home is ending. Or some of you are in the stage of the, the, the season of singleness is ending. Or this, the season of, of being a couple is ending and now you're adding another human being to your house. So you can no longer do the couple thing because now you have this, this kid and your life radically changes, right? Listen, that was an ending. Now that was kind of a forced ending that you didn't have a choice in the matter necessarily. But and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying you, when, when you're just a husband and a wife, you can do all kinds of stuff with freedom, right? Hey, let's go on a cruise. Okay, great. Let's go tomorrow, right? Then you have a child and it's, hey, let's go on a cruise. Okay, who's going to watch the kid? Who's going to uh, feed the dog that we got for the kid? Who's gonna, I mean, it, it, gets just, it gets more and more complicated, right? But guess what? Those kids are there in, a, in your house for a period of time, and hopefully they leave. Right? That's an ending. But here's what happens. We don't want to let things end. Let me, let me give you another example that's very real to many of us in here. There is an ending of our role of parenting. And we move from parent to mentor. And our child no longer has to do what we say. And we don't want them to do what we say for the rest of their life. Amen? We want to raise them. Of course you're saying amen, kid. You're my kid. We want our children to need us, and then need us less, and then need us none. But let me tell you what happens, because we don't understand, and we don't, rec we don't have the perspective we need to on endings. We try to keep our child a child for longer than it's good for them and for us. Amen? Now look, I will be the first to tell you, my, all three of my children are at home right now because school has been taken. I love it. I really enjoy it. I mean, it's great. But I can also tell you that there's a point at which what's best for them is they get a suitcase for Christmas and they move out. Amen? Can I, can I do you mind? You, so you got a job in uh, Georgia, right? That was tough, probably, leaving home in a lot of ways, I would imagine. But it was also, okay, well, was it tough for you, Jess? Not so much? You were ready for her to get out, huh? But, but, but okay, so it, it, it wasn't so much tough. But there was still this, this loss. 
I'm, and that's what I felt with Hannah moving to college. We, we had this loss because now there was an empty room. And besides, now we had to do the dishes because she wasn't there anymore. Because Hannah is our dishes person. She cannot stand dirty dishes, and so we kind of just, if we ignore them long enough, they'll pile up enough that she'll eventually do them. That was a major change. That was a major loss. But, but you get the point. There are these things in our life where, where there are seasons. And the Scripture very clearly says there is a time for everything. And time means there's a start and there's a stop. And there's a season for every activity under heaven. Now listen, seasons by definition means, or seasons by def, the word seasons by definition means that there is a finiteness to it. Let me just stop and take a little intermission. Let me, let me move over here and ask you a very serious, hard question. Now there's a season to every activity under heaven. Now, that, that doesn't mean that there's a season for love. Now, you say, well, it says a time to love and a time to hate. No, that's not talking about loving people. That's talking about your actions. That's talking about there's a time to respond in different ways. But in terms of, of, of things that are fi- infinite, there is no season for those. Love, for instance, kindness. Th- these, these are things that are from God. They're eternal. And so we don't, we don't end those things. But every activity under heaven... Those things have endings. What in your life is either coming to an end, and you see it on the horizon, or it should have already ended, but you just haven't looked forward. You've been looking back holding it. What what in your life is God saying to you, you really need to let this end? One of those... uh, uh, I can't remember the show. It's a, cart- it's a movie. Everybody's, let it grow, let it grow, let it. And then this one guy goes, hey, let it die, let it die. He actually had it right. He, he was the only one that realized some things, well, not some things, everything at some point needs to die. We don't like that, though, do we? We don't like that at all. Why? Because in our heart of hearts, our human nature is to hold on to things that are certain because we're afraid of what is uncertain. I'm just curious. How many of you love... Now, this is an honest question. I want you to raise your hand on this, okay? How many of you absolutely love... Don't, don't raise them yet. Love change and new and and. I don't, you know, we could do something new and unique and strange every day, and I would love that. How many of you are wired that way? Raise your hands. Let me see. Okay, got one back here, one here, one here. Raise them up high. I want to I wanna know. I'm counting. One here. So one, two, three, four, five. Okay. Okay, so we got about five people in a room of 60, 70, 80, 100, I don't know. How many of you then, by contrast, really like things that just stay the same? Let me see your hands. Do you see why life is so hard? Do you see why life is so hard? Now, here's the deal. Why do we not let things end? Well, because human nature, is far, we are far more comfortable with a, situ, with a certainty that is bad than we are with an uncertainty that might be good. We are far more comfortable staying in a bad situation because at least we know what to expect 
as opposed to an uncertainty that we don't know if it'll be good. Or, why, why trade something that's, even though it's bad, it's at least constant for something that may or may not. But here's the deal. Take this truth because this is what the Word of God tells us. Unless it ends, unless something ends, something else cannot start. And the Bible says that God's mercies are what? New every morning. That means that God has in store for us, as His children, good things. It says right here that um, I know that there is... A, Sorry, here at verse 10. I've seen the burden that God has laid upon men, and He has made everything beautiful in its time. He said eternally in the hearts of men, they cannot fathom uh, what God has done. See, we can't even fathom what God has done for us from beginning to end. There's nothing better than for men to be happy, do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink, find satisfaction for his toil. This is the what? What is it? The gift of God. See, we can't, express, we can't receive God's gift the way He wants to give us the gift if we're holding on to yesterday's gift. Can I say that again? I'm not sure you heard me. We can't hold on to the gift. We can't receive the gift that is new from God because our hands are full trying to hold on to the gift that was yesterday's gift. Now let's apply this to Christmas. We just had Christmas this past couple, couple days ago. Let's suppose you, you showed up to Christmas with the Christmas gift from the year before. You're like, no, I'm good. I don't need something new. Man, I got this last year. Did anybody do that? Anybody? No. Why? Because we like the excitement of something new, right? Guess what? That's the way we're supposed to approach life. That's the way God calls us to live. To everything, there is a season. A time to be born and what? A time to die. There's a time to plant and what? A time to uproot. There's a time to kill. There's a time to heal. There's a time to tear down. The time to build. What is, what is between the start and the finish? That's the experience. That's the meat. That's the enjoyment. That's what God gives us as a gift and he says, look, experience it, enjoy it, live it until the ending of it. But don't fear the ending. Because when there's an ending, there's also a new beginning. Folks, if you could, if you could catch this. Now, i got to admit, this is a lot easier for someone like me to catch this because I love new things. So I'm, I, I recognize, I'm pushing you and I'm stretching a little bit. But if the Word of God tells us that this is the way life is, do you think that by holding on to what was is going to change anything about the reality of life? Does that make sense? In fact, I wrote down a few things that, that, uh, um, that keep us from ending things. Okay? I was just thinking, okay, why do we hold on to things? Well, the first one I already mentioned, it's human, human nature. Our human nature is to stay in the comfortable, the, the familiar, the consistent, as opposed to the new and uncertain. But there's something more. We, we hold on to things and don't let them end because of fear. We're afraid. And you know what Jesus tells us? What does He tell us? Do not fear. Now think about this. Every, I say every, most every time... God spoke to a human. What were his words? Well, how, did, how did he lead the conversation? 
What did he say? He said, do not be afraid. Think of it. Mary, Joseph, Gideon. I mean, all of these men and women of God, before he, when he spoke to them, before he called them into something, what did he say? He said, don't be afraid. Why? Because I think he knew. I think he knew. He knows how we're wired. And he knows that fear will cripple us. We don't want to let go of what we know is certain because we're afraid of what is uncertain. But I want to tell you, folks, there is no fear when you absolutely trust the hand and the word of the living God. Ultimately, I think it's a, it's a lack of trust in who God is. Now, there's humanness involved, but at the end of the day, we really have nothing to fear. Um, I, think of, I think of a little child who, when he's afraid, the first thing he does is he runs over and he gets between his daddy's legs like this, right? You ever seen that happen? And as the dad, it's kind of a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because your, your kid trusts you, but it's a curse because now you, you can't walk, right? And he's dragged. But I think that's what God calls us to do. He says, look, don't be afraid. Run in beneath, underneath me and rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Rest in my presence and I as your Father will guard you and will keep you and I will sustain you. Another reason that we don't let things end is, um, is pride. Think about this. If I'm doing something and I've made this, whatever it is I'm doing, <laughs> actually, this is a whole other thing. But if, I, if, my, if I've made this thing that I'm doing my identity, I can't let it go. My pride will not let me let it go because if I let it go, I have suddenly entered into a world of who am I? Time out. i got to rethink this one because that, literally I think that's a separate thing. Let's do this sermon live here. Let's think about this. Let's suppose I'm a piano player. And as I'm playing, I realize that my mind is not as sharp as it used to be. My vision is not as sharp as it used to no, Just kidding. I, I wasn't meaning it that way, but... And, and, and let's say I get sloppier and sloppier and sloppier. If my identity is in what I do, I can't let it end. Because my identity would end. Listen, folks, your identity is never, should never be in something you do or a thing that you have. It must be in who you know. That's a good place for an amen. Your identity must not be in what you wear, what you do, what you're good at. It must never be in anything temporary. It must always be in something eternal. And the only thing eternal is the fact that Jesus Christ knows you, loves you, has called you. So we don't let things in because we make them our identity, but we also don't let things in because, because of pride. If I let this go, other people might think something of me. If I let this go, then, then you know, I failed or whatever. But you know what? Here's the interesting thing about pride. It never leads to something good. In fact, the Bible says it this way. Pride comes before the... That's why I don't like the summer. Because the pride is summer. That's a delayed timing joke. Thank you. 
So we're also afraid to let things go because of a lack of control. Is this anybody's issue besides, you know, a few of us? We don't want to let things die because if we let things die, we're leaving that which we think we control. But can I ask you an honest question? Do you really control what you think you control? Do you really control what you think you control? I'd say you don't. In fact, I'd say you don't need to. I'd say you don't want to. I think it's a great time to put this song into practice. Jesus, take the wheel. Why is it that we wait until we're flipping in a crash to let Jesus take the wheel? You ever notice how we do that? We are out of control. We are flipping and in flames. Jesus, take the wheel. Jesus, take the wheel. You know what? If, if I were Jesus, I'd be sitting there going, I'm going to let this thing crash and burn, teach you a lesson. I'm glad Jesus isn't like me. You know what we need to do? And I'm not being flippant on this. I'm being dead serious. We need to let Jesus take the wheel in the parking lot before we ever turn the key. See, it's a control issue. And a control issue ultimately is about faith, and faith ultimately is a, is a determination of the character of God in your own heart. Faith is all about, do you believe God is who He says He is? It's not about, do you believe He can do what He says He can do? It's about, is He who He says He is? Because if He is who He says He is, it's obvious He can do what He says He can do. Does it make sense? So when we're in the parking lot, we need to go, hey, Jesus, take the wheel. In fact, I'm going to get in the trunk. That way I'm not tempted to reach over and steer for you. There's nothing worse than a back seat or a side seat, seat driver, right? Get in the trunk. You say, well, that's just cop out in life. No, it's really not. Here's how it works. You wake up every day. Lord, today's your day. My life is not my own. I don't care where you send me. I don't care who you put me in front of. I am yours. You can use me, abuse me as if, as if I'm a Kleenex. Seriously. And you know what God does because He's a good, good Father? He says, I'm going to walk with you and I'm going to use, use you and I'm going to speak through you. And He does exactly what we talked about on Christmas Eve. He works with us and through us and He dances with us through life. And it's a beautiful thing. So we don't want to lose, we don't want to let things end. But when we don't let things end, there are certain consequences. One of those consequences is that we miss opportunities. Think of how many missed opportunities there are because you haven't let something end. I didn't, I didn't buy that car. It was a great deal because I really like my old one. That's a silly example, but how many things have you missed because you haven't let things end that should have ended? Not only do we have missed opportunities, but we really have unintentional and unnecessary struggle when we don't let things end. There are those who will continue doing something even when it's hard and it's difficult and it costs them more than it should, and it eventually ends anyways. Because they didn't have the courage to say, you know what, my time is up. I think of Ray, uh, Ray Hudson. He's a member of First Baptist. He's, he's passed away. He died several years ago. But 
I remember that Ray was an outdoorsman as well. And I remember the day that he came to church and I asked him, hey, how did it, how did it go in the stand yesterday? Because, you know, we always talked about hunting. He was, he was a hunter for years and years and years. He, he hunted with, with every kind of possible method there was. And in his older years, he would actually climb up into the stand and he would hunt from a, from a stand and he couldn't see anything, so he couldn't shoot anything, but, but he went hunting, right? I said, How, how'd you do yesterday? He goes, well, Jeff, I hung it up. I said, what? He goes, yeah, I've decided I'm too old to hunt anymore. God bless you. And you know what? That struck a chord with me. And I said to myself, man, I don't know what I'm going to do when that's the case. If you're not a hunter, you don't get this. You don't really understand. But, but, but for those who love the outdoors, the outdoors kind of gets in your bones and it gets into, into, in, into who you are. It doesn't define you. At least it shouldn't define you. But there's something about nature and there's something about the pursuit. And to think that that would end someday is horrifying. Anybody understand what I'm saying here? Anybody play a sport? Let me see. Could you imagine you? Yeah, right. What's... <laughs> What sport do you play? Oh, gee. Okay, I mean like a real sport. I joke, I joke. Can you, so those of you who play, can you, can you imagine the day where you can no longer play? Tennis player. Wake up and go, you know what, I cannot play tennis anymore. What if, what if you're a, uh, what if you're a chef? And you, you, you lose both of your arms in an accident. You wake up. I can no longer cook like I used to anymore. Or what if, what if you lose your eyesight? I can no longer read anymore. These are endings, right? These are horrible, horrible things that we think about. And when I heard Ray tell me, I'm no longer going to be a hunter. It was like my life flashed before me and I said, you know what? I need to change my perspective so that when I get to that point, I can have the courage to say, that season is over. There will be a new season starting for me. And this is the point, folks. It's a very simple passage, but it's a very difficult obedience. Everything in your life eventually needs an ending. And if you know that, you can live with the end in mind. If you know that, you don't have to get to where you should end and keep dragging it out and dragging it out and dragging it out and cause yourself unnecessary trouble. And by the way, everybody else knows it should end. We're the last ones to know. Amen? That's a whole other message. There's a lot of love involved when you help somebody else end something. That's a hard thing. I'm not making light of this. But I'm saying that we only prolong the inevitable when we don't end things when they should end. By the way, there are some bands that when they ended, they should have ended for good. You get my drift? How many of y'all been to see a band and you looked forward because you remembered them 30 years ago or 15 years ago? You went and you're like, whoa, these guys are 100 years old and they're horrible. Anybody? Some guys... Because they didn't know when to stop. We should end on a high note. We should end in a time that it's, that it's a good time to end. All right, let me finish this up. 
So, so what do we do? Well, I've already mentioned it several times, and I believe the Scripture makes uh, alludes to this. We should keep it all in perspective. Perspective means we recognize on the beginning, in the, in the entrance, that whatever it is we're doing, whatever activity we have, will eventually end. And so because we have the perspective of a beginning and an ending, we can do something that is very popular to say nowadays, but it's true. It's we live with mindfulness. Y'all heard that word, right? We are mindful. What does that mean? That means we are aware. We're aware of what's going on. We have our eyes open. We're not missing the present because we're looking at the past or the future. We're in the moment. And that's the third thing is we do live for the now. Not for the now, but we live in the now. Do you know how many people miss what's going on in their life right now because they're still holding on to what happened yesterday? I mean, just look at Napoleon Dynamite. His, his brother-in-law or whoever it was, man, he was, still, he was still dreaming of his high school football days. I don't mean to offend you, but if your best days were in high school, you need to get a life. I mean, it, it, let's just say it. I'm not trying to be mean, but I'm just saying, if that was your best days, you're missing what God has in store for you. Amen? Because His mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O God. That means he never fails to do what he says he's going to do. And, and to, to think that, that you know, we've, that was our best day? No, those were good days. So what do we do? We, we have perspective. We live in the now. We're mindful of what's going on. We recognize the people that were around. And we have fond memories of the past while hoping for the future that God has in store. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Y'all with me here? Okay, is this making sense? Is it helpful? And I, and I guess I should have told you that um, I have two messages, one for the ending of this year and one for the beginning of next year. Today I wanted to talk about necessary endings. The beginning of the year next year, so next Sunday... My message is what to do in a cave. What do you do in a cave? When you find yourself in a cave, there are some things that you need to do, but you've got to understand this in order to understand that. So here's what Philippians 3, starting in verse 13, says. It says, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul says it all right there. He forgets what's behind. Now listen, forgetting what's behind doesn't mean that you don't have memories. What he's saying is he's not holding on to those memories and letting those memories drive his life. He has fond memories, but the past is past. From this point on, he presses on to take hold of that for which God has taken hold of him. Now, this has been made real to me because you know that this past summer I was on sabbatical and I took my family on a seven-week journey across the country. And as we were, as we were uh, doing this journey, we were, we were enjoying every part of it. Well, I was enjoying every part of it. Most of my family was. Sometimes there were some, you know, some tense moments, but for the most part... We really made some memories that I thought would last a lifetime. But what I'm realizing is those memories were then and today only certain memories remain. 
Like I can't remember what we did every single day. I remember the kind of momentous, the big stuff. You like the meatball. <laughs> Y'all know about the meatball, right? For those of you who don't know, so we were at a restaurant in Tahoe. And we were eating at this restaurant on Lake Tahoe, and we ordered pizza for the table. And there was this family next to us who ordered more than they were going to eat. And we were noticing, and when I say we, I mean I, but I made sure the family knew that there was a giant, it, it, was, a, it was a humongous meatball left on the table. And I, and I was looking at it going, are they going to eat that meatball? I mean, I was just consumed by the meatball. It had to have been a pound and a half of meat. And I'm thinking, that is, that is goodness on that plate. And I'm watching this, I'm just eyeing it, you know, I'm peering at it. And I'm seeing them start to pack up, and I'm like, please leave the meatball, please leave the... But they put it in a to-go box, and I was disappointed. I'm like, oh well, meatball's gone. So they pay the bill, they get up and they leave, and I notice they left the meatball. The meatball was still in the box. And I'm thinking, wow, this is an opportunity. Because what, what my family didn't know is I wanted to order the meatball, but I was too cheap. It was $15. And so after, after just keeping an eye, the waiter came and was starting to clear the table. And I'm like, well, if he's going to throw it away anyways, excuse me, sir, can we have the meatball? He goes, this meatball? Yes, sir. I go, he goes, okay, sure. So he brought it over and set the box of a meatball on the table. And I'm like, score! Shannon is like, they're going to come back, they're going to come back. And I'm like, nobody comes back for leftovers. Man, they've been gone 10 minutes. It's, they're, they're gone, they're done. So we start scarfing on the meatball. We're sitting at the table, eating this meatball, kind of laughing about how we scored the meatball, and the dude from the table comes back in the restaurant. And we're like, Oh my gosh. We take the meatball, put it on our lap. We're just kind of looking down, you know, eating our pizza, whatever. And he comes in, he's like, hey, did, he, did anybody see my meatball? And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, Lord, don't let anybody in my family say that they have the meatball. Finally, we were saved because the wait, waiter came over and said, yeah, I, I, I got rid of the meatball. And I'm like, you just lied, but I'm thankful for it. She turned over, she's like, I got you. And then... In total dejection, he left. And then I heard it. I told you he was coming back. See, it's memories like that that I remember. <laughs> but here's the point. See, God gives us those opportunities every day. He makes everything beautiful in his time. Your life has beauty to it. And value. And God is at work inside of you. And you may be in the valley right now and you're like, my life stinks. But there's an ending. It's going to end. And when it ends, there's going to be something new in the morning. But also remember, your life might be amazing right now. But remember, enjoy it because it's going to end. And you're going to have times in a cave. You see, we're fooling ourselves if we think that life is this, this constant up. No. Life is neither always bad or always good. It's sometimes this, sometimes that. But God walks through life with us.
because he's a father and he loves us with more love than we could possibly imagine. So church, I want to invite you today to grab hold of necessary endings. There are some things in your life that need to end. My prayer is for you to have courage to end them. Because if you hold on to the past, you'll never be able to experience the present or even the future. And I love the God's promise to the Israelites. He says, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans for a hope. Plans for a future. This is the God we serve. So let me ask you a question. What do you need to end? What activity, what, what, what are you holding on to? Whether it's an activity or if it's a, it's a moment or whatever. What, what do you need to let end? Listen, by the way, we mourn loss. We don't make light of it, but, but we must let things go. But the bigger question is, have you come to the place in your life where you've trusted Jesus Christ? That's the real beginning. Will you close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment? If you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that it's by grace that you're saved through faith, not of your works. There's nothing you can do to earn God's salvation. There's nothing you can do to make yourself right with God. You cannot even the score. The Bible says that our sin condemns us. We are broken and without hope. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Will you trust Jesus today? Just say to him, God, I know that my life is a mess and I know that my sin separates me from you. But I give you myself. I ask you to come into my life and take control. I turn away from my sin and trusting in myself and I turn to you. God, I'm asking you to save me. If you'll approach God like that, the Bible says he won't turn you away. He will scoop you up into his arms and you will become his child. He will place his spirit inside of you. And he'll walk with you to the end of your days. Father in heaven, I thank you for this day. I ask that in these few final moments of our time together, you would, would comfort your people. You would give hope for your people. God, I pray that you would give courage to your people. Lord, remind us that we are your people. This is my prayer in Jesus.